Good morning. Please be seated. Thank you. Welcome. My name is Craig Thompson. I am the, uh, the other pastor here, the senior pastor, and it's our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship the Lord. I am so glad that you have joined with us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, in just a little while. As you're turning to Nehemiah, chapter 2, just as a, in way of reminder, we've been reading through the Bible now for, um, I guess we're into our fifth month since this is May. We began in January and have been trying to work our way through from Genesis to Revelation. So um, uh, many of you I know have been keeping up with us, and I'm so glad. I know that if you have been, you have been blessed by it just as I have. But we have made it, uh, or, or are making it now, into the book of Nehemiah this morning. So Nehemiah chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. As you're turning, just a reminder, there is a Vacation Bible School meeting right after service this morning. If you volunteer to serve in VBS, or if you're thinking you might want to volunteer to serve in VBS, please stay after we have food so we will feed you so that you don't get hungry. And uh, Miss Rhonda will try to make it as quick and painless as possible, but there are just a, some, some I's that have got to be dotted and T's that have got to be crossed so that we can make sure that we're prepared uh, to reach children through VBS as it comes up in just a few weeks. So please plan to be with us. Uh, and just a reminder, we have life group fellowships going on this weekend. I know some of you guys got together last night. Some of y'all will get together today. But if you don't have a life group that you're a part of, um, we, we would invite you to come and, and eat, just eat for free with somebody this evening, right? Find one that has a meeting tonight and just go and crash it and get to know somebody We'd love to have you at any one of those things. Um, and our life groups, by the way, are just our small groups. And, uh, and a life group fellowship is literally just what it sounds like. There's just a, a time to get together and enjoy one another, get to know one another a little bit better. All right. Hopefully by now you've made it into Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm going to ask you, if you can, to please stand with me in honor of God's word. Beginning in verse 11. Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. So I went to Jerusalem and there was, and, and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer depression. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that, Father, with Nehemiah, we would have a heart to inspect our own walls, but God, even more, that we would have a heart that's open to the direction of the Lord. Father God, I pray you'd be with us, move among us. God, as we consider your word this morning, I pray that it would further sharpen us for your work in our community and around the world. Pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So uh, I, I've been I've been sort of preparing this sermon for about three months now. So the whole goal, as as many of y'all have been asked to pray for me this week, is 
is twofold, that I would speak and communicate clearly today and that I would do so in less than an hour and a half. So those are the two things we're about. Uh, Rhonda figured to keep my feet to the fire, we'd keep the children in the sanctuary and there's no way they'll allow me to go much longer than I need to. So, um, but uh, honest and truly, part of the reason we've, we've invited and asked our kids to stay in here with us this morning is because a lot of what we're going to talk about involves them. And we think it's important. Our children are not the future of our church. We sometimes get that messed up. We talk about the children and the youth as the future of our church, but they are our church today. They will be our church further into the future than most of us will be, but they're part of the church today. But anyway, this is a a, a sermon that that the Lord's been working in my life now for uh, several months. One of the results of COVID-19 was really to cause us and many other churches to lose our focus. Now, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was, it was sort of a bit of a, a blessing. It was, it was absolutely a necessity. It was better to be about the Lord's business scattered than it was to not be about the Lord's business at all, if that makes sense. But as we reconnected and really began to re-emerge from COVID lockdowns, my goal was to refocus our church, for us to go from being God's people scattered to being God's people gathered and focused in one common goal. And so that was something that we set out to do really in the lead up to Easter. And since then, that's been a focus of our church. In that effort, one of the things I've tried to do is to bring us together and to get us focused, moving together in the same direction. So with that in mind, one of the things that I thought that would be really good for our church to do that we've just never really put down on paper, don't zone out on me yet, we're going to get to the text in a minute, I promise. One of the things I, I thought would be good, and this has really been driving a lot of what, what I've been doing, was, was to put it down on paper, sort of our core values as a body. Um, and, and I didn't like pull these out of thin air. This just seemed to me that these core values lined up with, with who we are. Those, those core values are authentic worship, genuine community, missional evangelism, and intentional discipleship. And all those things are born for us out of Christ's great commandment and His great commission. So if we are going to love the Lord with our whole, mar- whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, love our neighbors, ourselves, and then if we're going to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, all of those things are going to come together to really birth out sort of these four principles. This morning, a big part of this sermon is for us to consider what the future of Malvern Hill looks like. And to reflect on these core values, we're going to see how something similar was going on in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah was a man with a focus, a singular focus that drove him to do and accomplish great things. But I want us to see something. It can be real easy for us to jump to all the things that Nehemiah did and to begin to believe that Nehemiah's focus was as a builder. But Nehemiah's focus was not primarily on building things for the Lord. Nehemiah's focus was primarily on the Lord. We can jump straight to Nehemiah 2, but if we do, we miss all of Nehemiah 1. And in Nehemiah 1, what we see is that Nehemiah gets this this word of, of news that broke his heart. But then Nehemiah seeks the Lord. Nehemiah focuses on the Lord. Nehemiah spends days in prayer and in fasting. In this place, the Lord brought Nehemiah to a place of decision. Nehemiah had a really good life. But Nehemiah was forced to wrestle with the question, what do I do now? And, and I actually believe that we're at a place in the life of our church where we're faced with a similar question. Not what do I do now, but sort of a question of where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? It's, it's pretty comfortable in here right now, right? This is uh, uh, 
Uh, about an average crowd for us these days. It's, it's pretty cozy. Things are fun. Uh, I've told a lot of people recently, I'm having more fun in ministry today than in all of my 20 years of ministry. I am having an absolute ball with what the Lord's doing in y'all's lives and lives of others and the opportunities that we're having within our community. Things are really good and it's an exciting place to be. But what comes next? What do we do after this? And I believe that the, the, the book of Nehemiah and the, the life of Nehemiah gives us a picture of how it is that we as a church should really consider the future. The first thing this morning that we see when we think about this question, where do we go from here, is that we wait for the Lord. We wait for the Lord. One of our, we, we prayed, our deacons come in and, and pray over me on Sunday mornings. And, and one of our deacons this morning said, I just want to make sure we always keep the main thing, the main thing. That we keep the first things, the first things. And folks, the first and most important thing that we've ever got to be about as a church is the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got all sorts of other things that we can do or that we can be about. But the thing that we must always be about is Christ. And we've got to be about waiting on God's movement. Folks, it would be dangerous for us to get ahead of the Lord. We've got to wait on the Lord to pull us to pull us along. Nehemiah was going about his business when the Lord gave him a job to do. You realize that? Nehemiah was going about his business. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Helkiah, in chapter 1. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and who had survived the exile. Now, what was Jer Jeremiah? What was Nehemiah doing in the, in, in the capital city? If we jump all the way to the very last sentence of Nehemiah chapter 1, we read, Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah was a man of influence and power. He was cupbearer to the king. Now, that doesn't seem like such a big deal to you, maybe. But let me tell you what that means. That means he got to eat the king's food. Okay? And if you're like me, that's a pretty big deal. He lived in the king's quarters. He was one of the king's right-hand men. He would have been there at every one of the king's meals. Cupbearer, his, his part of his responsibility would have been to test the food, to taste it, to make sure that it was safe, that nobody had poisoned this food. He was one of the king's most trusted advisors. And yet, even in this place, the Lord showed up. You know, we don't always know how or when the Lord will work. Nehemiah was living this incredibly comfortable life. People show up in the capital, and Nehemiah says, I'm just going to make some small talk with these guys. You ever had a, a small conversation that turned into a whole lot more? Right? You, you ever had that? Some of you had that experience with your spouse. It started off small, and then it became a whole lot more. Okay? But what, what, what about those conversations? Nehemiah asks one simple question. He says, hey, how are those Jews who escaped and survived the exile? How is Jerusalem? And no doubt, Nehemiah was prepared to hear them say, things are going great. And Nehemiah said, well, that's good to hear. Let me go on back here and eat a little bit more prime rib. But instead, what Nehemiah heard was this. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire and as soon as this happened Nehemiah the cupbearer to the king who was eating the best king's food and serving at the king's right hand Nehemiah the cupbearer to the king lost his appetite because in that moment Nehemiah sought the Lord in that moment Nehemiah's heart broke and in that moment Nehemiah began to hear the whispers of the Lord saying to him that he had a job to do 
We don't always know when or how the Lord will work. But when the Lord gets to work and gives us a job to do, we must respond. And folks, I want you to know that Nehemiah was given a choice. But the choice that Nehemiah was given was not whether or not he would respond. Nehemiah was going to respond. Do you understand? When somebody asks you a question, you are inevitably going to say yes or no. Right? We, when the Lord gives us a command, we can try to ignore it, but if we ignore it, the only thing we're doing is saying no. You understand? We don't get to say to the Lord, well, you just hold on and I'll come back to you at some point. When God says go, we either stay or we go. We have this conversation, this is a nice way to say it, in our house a lot of times, we speak about delayed obedience as disobedience. Right? If I say, go, you know, pick that trash up out of the floor, and you say, I'll get to it later, that is not actually obeying. Or my favorite one, well, I was going to do it. Got to be careful, all my kids are in here, they'll come after me. I'm outnumbered these days. Nehemiah was not actually given an option to just ignore the Lord. I mean, he could have, right? But to ignore what God was doing was to disobey the Lord's Lord's direction. Folks, when God is at work around us, when God gives us a job to do, the choice is to either get on with the Lord or to disobey the Lord. We're in a really good place in our church and it's an exciting place to be, but what is it that comes next? What is it that comes next? Where do we go from here? We wait for the Lord, but once we begin to see the hand of the Lord stirring, the second thing we do is we examine the walls. Now, it became apparent to Nehemiah that there was a job to do, but I want you to see something. Before he jumped into the work, now, Nehemiah obeyed right away. But before he jumped into the work, Nehemiah did his homework. Do you know, folks, it's important that when God calls us to do something, that it's, it's normally the case that we shouldn't run in half-cocked. It's not, Jesus said that if we're going to do something, we should count the cost. We need to be aware of what it is that we're about. Nehemiah said, hey, I've heard this story, and it appears as though the Lord is, is calling me to do something. But what did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah responded by going, but Nehemiah kept his mouth shut for a little while. Any of you ever had somebody begin to spout off about what they were going to do for the Lord before they counted the cost or what it was that God had called them to do? Anybody, any of y'all ever had somebody that just said what they were going to do, not even about the Lord, but just before they had actually counted the cost about what they were, everybody went to high school with a guy like that, right? Some of y'all know a guy who's still stuck in high school 30 years, 30 years later who's just like that. He's still telling y'all exactly what he's going to do. He's Uncle Rico off of Napoleon Dynamite, that guy. And if you don't know what that is, don't go look it up. It's a waste of your time. It's clean. It's just a waste of your time. But this is the guy that's still talking about what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. Nehemiah didn't say, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Nehemiah said, all right, the Lord's called me to something. I'm going to get busy about doing it. But when he got there, Nehemiah didn't initially begin giving people jobs to do. He didn't run in half-cocked. Nehemiah said, I need, I need to get a feeling for what's going on. As a matter of fact, he said, I didn't tell anybody what I was going to do. Nehemiah decided he needed to examine the walls. And Nehemiah decided he needed to examine the walls. And the first thing he needed to do was examine the walls all by himself. Nehemiah said, before I'm going to give somebody a job to do, I need to understand something about what the job that the Lord has given me to do is. God had given Nehemiah a burden. But watch this. God gave Nehemiah a burden. 
Has the Lord ever put something on your heart that you try to pass off to somebody else? It's one of my favorite things. Pastor, I think the Lord's calling us as a church to do blah, 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 blah. I think the Lord's called us as a church to give out packs of Kool-Aid to everybody in the county. I don't know what it would be. Some of y'all have come to me and said, Pastor, I think the Lord's called us to do. And you've heard me say, well, if the Lord's put that on your heart, I can't wait to see what God's going to do through you when you get busy. Because, listen, just because God calls me to do something doesn't mean he called everybody to do something, right? Well, Nehemiah said, before I'm going to go, and I'm going to... Nehemiah said, God's called me to do something. And what God had called Nehemiah to do before he did anything else was to examine the walls all himself. Nehemiah needed to get a, an understanding of the situation. He needed to dig in and try to figure out what's going on. Folks, when God calls you to do something, there are many parts of the job that you're just going to have to do for yourself. When God calls you to do something, there are many parts of the job that you're just going to have to do for yourself. You just can't pawn off everything on somebody else. Because if God called you to reach somebody, then it's probably the case that God has uniquely placed you in a position to be able to reach that somebody. Do you know there are a lot of people in your life that you can share Jesus with that won't hear Jesus from me? For those of you that think that I've got this direct path to the Lord and I'm this professional evangelist and professional person, there's a lot of people that God's put in your life that don't want to have a conversation with me, but that would be incredibly open to having a conversation with you. They'd be incredibly open to hearing you share about what God's doing in your life. When God calls you to do something, make sure you get busy about it. But regardless of this situation... When Nehemiah examined the walls, he was convinced. He was convinced not only of God's call, he was convinced of his necessary response. Today, in just a minute, we're going to spend a few minutes examining our own walls as a church. Wrestling with a vision and direction that I and other leaders in our church believe to be from the Lord. And then considering the challenges ahead. Now, we're going to do this as a part of, of this sermon this morning. I want to say this before we get in. There is no vote today. Okay, on anything. There's not even a proposal for a vote. When we finish today, I want you to hear me before I open up anything else. When we finish today, we're going to all go home. We're going to all begin praying about this. And then there's going to be a timeline period where there's going to be chances for you to ask lots of questions. As a matter of fact, we love rumors so much at Malvern Hill that next Sunday morning, one of your life group questions is talk about everything we heard on Sunday morning. All right? Because we believe that if God's calling us to do something, he's calling us to do something. And we're just not afraid for folks to ask all the questions they want to ask, okay? Um, so when we finish today, I, for, for, when we start this in just a minute, don't shut me down and go, I can't believe it. Y'all just, just suffer through it together, okay? We're going to do this together. In the next few weeks, those of you that are members here at Malvern Hill, your deacons are going to begin calling you family by family and just say, hey, what would you think about what you saw? Uh, share with us your, your, your joys with that. Share with us your concerns. Okay, And then on the back end, and I'm going to remind you of this timeline in a few minutes, on the back end in a few weeks, we will have a, a, a vote of affirmation from the church to decide whether or not this is something we want to move forward with by appointing a focus team that would help to steer us in that direction that you all would have a voice in. So, so before anybody gets, gets upset, there's nothing going to happen today except I'm, we're going to talk about some things. Okay, And then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna finish out with a sermon uh, in just a minute. Okay? But let me just give you an idea about what it looks like for us to examine our own walls. On January the 25th, I sent an email to many in our church leadership that I later edited into a newsletter column for February of this year. In that email, 
I praised our leadership for their efforts to serve the Lord during the challenges of 2020. But I also challenged us as a church to not spend too much time celebrating our successes, but instead to pray and look to the future. And so the vision that I'm laying before you today is, I believe, the result of those prayers. The vision that I'm going to lay before you today is a vision that's been vetted by uh, tons of our leaders. Our deacons have been through this three times now. Other leaders in our church have been through this multiple times. Um, our, our staff's been through it together. Me and Rhonda sat down and worked through this a couple times together because I, she, she makes sure that I don't do dumb things, and I'm grateful for that. Um, right, so we, we've worked through this over and over. And so this morning, we're going to try and work through some of these things together. And again, my goal is to do this in something less than uh, an hour and a half. Um, but as we began to look, we want to start talking about refocusing as a church. What's it look like for us to get together? Uh, I talked just a few minutes ago about our core values. I hope you can see these from the back. But our core values, again, are authentic worship, genuine community, missional evangelism, and intentional discipleship. The reason that we use that word missional evangelism because we want to make sure that we never separate missions and evangelism. We want evangelism that is outgoing and missional, but we also want missions that include evangelism. Folks, we've not actually completed missions until we've actually shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for us, missions and evangelism aren't two separate goals. They're one goal wrapped up into one as we seek to fulfill the mission of Christ. As I mentioned already, those things are, are, are drawn out of Christ's great commission, His great commandment. Why do those things matter? Because there are 3.23 billion people on this planet who do not currently have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you look at that number, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Not 3.23 billion people who have not come to Jesus Christ. 3.23 billion people who do not have access they cannot go out of their house and walk within five miles of their home and find anybody who knows about Jesus or find resources that can point them to Jesus. 3.23 billion people who are not only lost, but who are damned to hell without hope because there is no one to speak to them the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be serious about the mission ahead of us. But even though there is that, we, we recognize that there is hope. And that hope, of course, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope that's wrapped up in Christ. We have one gospel, we have one mission, and we have one chance. Now, I don't want to oversell this idea, but, but sometimes the Lord puts us in a position where he calls us to act. Nehemiah was placed in that position. Nehemiah was what? We're going to get to Esther in just a little while. Esther, we're going to see, was at such a time as this, right? Nehemiah was at such a time as this kind of guy. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king for such a time as this. For such a time as that, as that the nation of Jerusalem, by the, by the, the people, the Jewish people, God's people, and, and that Jerusalem is a city. Nehemiah was in a place at that time for such a time that he might be raised up to fulfill God's purposes in that place. We've got an opportunity right now. We have an opportunity as a church um, to make an impact on our community. God's called us to what? Love God, love others, and change the world. And that's what we want to be about as a church body. There we go. My clicker wasn't working real well. Love God, love others, and change the world. And so with those things in mind, there are four sort of focus areas that we 
are encouraging our church to consider as we move forward in the future. Just for the record, we initially had this laid out as a 10-year plan, right? Vision 2032, because our church turns 100 in 2032, and in 2032, I celebrate my 25-year anniversary here, and so we thought it'd be a whole lot of fun to make this a 10-year plan, but the more we got to digging, we realized that we can't wait 10 years on most of this stuff, okay? Um, so uh, this is more like a three- to five-year goal. Um, these focus here is first to meet the needs of our church body, second to reach our community right here around us, third to strengthen other churches. This is the one that gets a little bit dicey because you might not fully appreciate why that matters, but if we're going to reach three and a half billion people, and if we're going to reach all the people in the community that God's placed us, we can't do it all by ourselves. And the Lord's given us an opportunity as a church to make a whole lot of mistakes and learn a whole lot of things along the way, and we'd love to help other churches figure out how it is that they can impact our community and their communities for the sake of the gospel. Then finally, to reach the world. And we're going to look at all those in detail in just a moment. So the first thing this morning... It's for us to consider what it looks like to meet the needs of our church. Um, and this is, this is where we begin to talk about the things that cost dollars and cents. Number one, we, we're going to need to look at expanding facilities for youth and children. We're going to need to expand educational facilities for adults. We're going to need to look at the, the reality that in the future we'll have to expand office space because all these things are going to result in exp- expanded um, staff. And then we need to, to create a 30-year site plan for our church. Now, I recognize as I throw all that out there, some of you are going, whoa, that's a whole lot. We just moved into this building. Why are you talking about buildings all the way? Let me tell you why. Right now, since February, our average in the children's building in life groups, not worship, in life groups is 47. 47 from zero to uh, to fifth grade. Our average since February in our student department is 45. That's 90. We currently have educational space across our church body comfortably for about 180. We're running about 206. I have no idea what we had this morning. Uh, our high this year since we came back from COVID is about 216. Our average 2020 before we shut down for COVID was 220. So what we're looking at is we're already back to where we were then. Now, it's not just about what we've got right now. Let me show you this real quick because it it can be easy for us to kind of look at our church facility and go, it's really massive. Why do we need something that looks like that? This is why. These red squares are going to show you the only places that we have on our campus right now that are not being utilized for education space. Okay? So we have one availability in the children's department so that we can grow in that area by one. We have one space available in our gym. That's all. Now, all these other spaces, everything that's bluish green is a life group space. I don't know what that Oh, my water. Uh, everything that's gray is either a closet, uh, an office, or otherwise unusable space. Okay? So when we begin to talk about these things, we're, we're not talking about sort of what could be one day down the road. I'm telling you that in the next three months we have to plant another life group, and that life group is going to have to meet in that area or in another area when we move another life group from there. So when we start talking about this, we are, this is kind of where we are right now. There are currently plans. We don't know for sure what happens, okay? So let me just say that. We don't know. But if everything that is being talked about, if all the contracts go through, there's, there, there are plans right now for three to 500 homes to be built within two and a half miles of our church in the next three to five years, Okay? A hundred of those homes will be within a half a mile of our facility. Again, we have education space currently for 215, because that's kind of where we are, but that's really a stretch because if some of you were in life group this morning like this, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, when we talk, talk about the needs that we have, um, 
we, we've got to look at expanding so that we have room for our teenagers and our children and that we've got room to expand adult life group spaces. So if we were to look at an opportunity, for instance, where we create a new children and youth facility, uh, and y'all don't, don't, buy, don't sell out on this, this is just something that Craig drew, all right? Y'all can all laugh at it. It's ugly. I did it ugly on purpose, so nobody would go home and say, look what we're going to do next week. The only thing I did was give you an idea because some of y'all ain't from here, okay? So what maybe not everybody's aware of, so this is our church. Look at that little red thing. Isn't that, I should use these every Sunday. Um, this is us. This is our playground, okay? We own 11 acres right beside us at the corner of Logan Road and Malvern Hill Drive. And so the opportunity for future expansion exists out there. So the first thing this morning is for us to consider what it looks like for us to meet the needs of our immediate congregation and of the future. Now, in our sanctuary, with our sanctuary the size that it is, we max out at about 400. 80% of that capacity is 100%. So somewhere around about 300 is where it starts to feel really claustrophobic in here. Right now, the struggle that we have is that we couldn't even go double services if we wanted to because we don't have enough life group space to accomplish that, right? Now, 10 years ago, if I'd have thrown out the number, I'm going to throw out you right now, I'd, I'd, I'd have thought I was being ridiculous. When we look at what's happening in our church body, we look at what's happening in the future with development and everything else, we need to be thinking about what it would look like for us to be a church that could comfortably manage two services and educational space for all those folks. Comfortably managing two services in here would be a church of about 500 at some point in the future. And for us to accomplish that, we've got to make space for, you ready, 180 teenagers and children because a third of our congregation on any given Sunday morning is 18 or under. And what's the problem? Those 18 or unders don't tithe. So, <laughs> we love y'all, but if y'all could get a job, it'd make life so much better. <laughs> Folks, it's a sign of what God's doing in our church and the health that we're experiencing that we, we continue to see those kinds of numbers. So that's the first thing we've got to think about, and that's the one everybody showed up to hear, okay? Um, the second thing, though, this morning is that we've got to focus on reaching our community. We've got to improve recreational facilities, create um, missional third space opportunities. If you don't know what that means, so that's kind of a, a word that Starbucks really capitalized on. A third. So you've got your home as your first space, your, your workplace as your second space. And Starbucks' goal was always to be a third place, like where you would go when you weren't at home or you weren't at work. We've got to find ways that we can create third space opportunities using the facilities that we have. In East Camden, there aren't those kinds of things that exist. And so I don't know what exactly what that would be, but just trying to figure out how it is that we might say to our community, we're open for business, and we would love for you to be a part of what God's, God's, God has going on here. We want to focus on intentional ministry to the underprivileged, and we want to look at, at making our church look like our community. 40% of the community around us within a, uh, within a five-mile radius and even a one-mile radius, about 40% of our community is minority. You can look around, we're not 40% minority. Part of that's because we've not done a good enough job at saying we want to make sure that we're reaching into communities all around us. So reaching our community, why? 60.4% of the people within a three-mile radius, so, so it doesn't matter, and for the record, if you go three, five, or one, three, or five, so if we just say Camden, it doesn't matter how far out we go, we see the same number, 60.4% of the people that live in our community are unchurched, okay, 60.4%, if that one blows your mind, this one's going to be even worse, 24.7%, this is according to U.S. Census data, this is not a number that Craig pulled out of the air, 24.7% of the people that live in this community claim to have zero faith commitment in their life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're atheists, 
It means that they claim no faith commitment. Folks, the task ahead of us is great. Our community needs to be reached because when we talk about 3.23 billion people who have no access to the gospel, what a shame it is for there to be 70,000 people in Kershaw County and for a fourth of those to have access to the gospel but not to have people that live next door to them to love them enough to go to them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be intentional about reaching our community and we want to redouble down or, or double down and refocus on those efforts because people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third thing, oh, oh let me tell you this, great news. Do you know the number one thing that people say they're looking for in a church is friendliness? I, I, that's, that's number one. Well, I think it's number two. Having an amazing pastor named Craig Thompson is number one. They're probably interchangeable somewhere in that. All kidding aside, uh, one and two, they're usually looking for, for, for preaching, friendliness. Everything else that matters to us is on down the list. Things like student ministry, kids' ministry, uh, women's ministry, all that stuff comes in at like six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range, okay? They matter, but what is it that brings them in and helps them to come back? That the church loved them enough to be friendly to them when they came? I want you to know, because I'm talking about all things we got to do. Let me brag on y'all for a minute. When people visit our church, they all say the same thing. I felt more welcome on the first Sunday that I walked into Malvern Hill than I have in X number of years that the last church I was a part of. I had somebody say to me, I was a part of such and so church for 10 years, and I felt more comfortable when I walked in the door at Malvern Hill than at that church ever. Y'all are doing a great job, so don't quit. Don't quit, but just understand, this is why if you're a guest with us today and you got flooded when you came in, I'm sorry, it's going to be worse for you before you leave, okay? we got to do our job. All right, moving on. Uh, we've got to strengthen other churches, okay? This is where some of y'all are going to kind of roll your eyes. What? Listen to me. If there are 60% of our community that have no, no, no church home, and if a fourth of our community has no faith commitment, Malvern Hill can't reach them all. But if we believe they've got to be reached, we've got to do whatever it takes for us to get them reached. And that means that we've got to help other churches, and we ourselves have got to get past it. We are not, oh, I am ultra competitive, so let me not say that would be a lie. I was fixing to say we're not competitive. I, I, will, I will race you to the back door right now if you challenge me to it. We can, we can thumb wrestle, whatever. So while we are competitive, okay? But we've got to get past this idea that we're competing with other churches. We've got to see that we are all in this together. At Malvern Hill, listen, God's given us the opportunity to be a pretty healthy place, a fun place, an enjoyable place. We believe that church health is better caught than taught. We believe that we can help other churches to get healthier and to avoid some of the pitfalls that we've fallen into. God's also given us some really cool blessings in our church body. There's seven or eight guys in this church that can preach as well as me. And we've got the opportunity to say, hey, y'all go do that somewhere else for a little while or for a long while. We've got musicians all of a sudden that are running out our ears and we're able to say, hey, y'all go help lead worship for two or three weeks over here and help them get on their feet up under them. We want to do whatever it takes to see other churches healthy because it's not about Malvern Hill, it's about the kingdom of God. And folks, I want you to understand. You remember what I said when I said there are some people that y'all can reach with the gospel that I can't reach? Do you know there's some people, there's not some, there's a lot. There's a lot of folks y'all work with that are involved in unhealthy churches. And I'll be honest with you, I could help them. I could help them get a little bit healthier. I can help them understand what's going on. But you know what the truth of the matter is? They don't care what I have to say. They don't trust me. I'm just, I'm just the preacher. 
right? Well, he's that guy or he's this guy. You know what you're able to do? What if you're able to take that co-worker of yours and say, listen, I know things are bad where you're at, but it doesn't have to be that way. Let us help you. What if we all catch that vision? Not come over to this church, to my church with me, but let my church help you. Let us come alongside you and see you get healthier. Folks, if the Lord sends revival, he won't limit it to Camden's or to Kershaw, to the Malvern Hill Baptist Church. The Lord sends revival, it's going to be far larger. And we got to be serious about that. So we want to make sure that we're open to what the Lord has going on. Why does this matter? Three in five churches in our community. Again, not just across the nation. Three in five churches in our community. That's 60% are plateaued or declining. More than half of the churches in our community are in desperate need of help. We want to do all that we can to help. And then finally this morning, not in way of importance, but just finally in way of conversation to reach the world. We want to strengthen existing mission partnerships. I'm so glad that Luke and Patty are here with us this morning. They're missionaries of ours from us to, to Latvia, so they've been with us and will be with us for another few weeks. Patty played uh, up with us this morning. I'm sorry to call y'all out. I know that makes y'all real happy and uncomfortable. Um, but we want to strengthen the existing mission partnerships that we have, right? Where, wherever and whenever those, those mission partnerships are. But even more, we want to train and send out missionary families. I want the next time that Luke and Patty are here that we're not still going to look what we did eight years ago when Luke and Patty left us. I want us to say, hey, look at these other couples that God's put into the pipeline that are ready to go and we're just looking for the places where they're going. I want us to be sending families to Latvia to spend a week with Luke and Patty so they can learn what it looks like to be missionaries on the field so they can come back here ready to go. And folks, we celebrate what God's done to send people out, but I want us to make it a goal, a stated goal. We're going to write it in permanent marker and put it up all over the place that said we're praying that God would train up and send out missionary families. Why? Because 32.5 billion, 3.5 billion people almost have no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be serious about the gospel, we've got to be serious about training people up and sending them out to the nations. Because there's a desperate need. Why are we talking about these things? We turn 100 in just a few years. We need to position our church to move into the next 100 years. The Lord's allowed Malvern Hill to be a place to belong, a place to become, was the phrase that was used when I first came here 14 years ago. The Lord's allowed Malvern Hill to be a lighthouse in this community for a long time. And we're seeing God do great things. But folks, we've got to take the steps right now. I believe, to make sure that we're not just a church for today, but we're a church for tomorrow. We're a church for our children. I want to make sure that this is a place where my grandkids can be. And folks, at some point, we're just going to have to make a decision whether or not we're going to be satisfied with what the Lord has done or if we're going to be thankful for what He's done and we're looking forward to how the Lord would have us to move in the future. What's a timeline look like? I said this on the front end. I know this is a little bit scary for some of you. First thing you're going to see is your deacons are going to be in contact with you. They're not, these, are not, these are not sales calls. They're calling you and they're saying, do you have any questions about what went on Sunday? How can I answer any of those questions? Do you have concerns? They're going to ask you those questions. I want you to be honest with them. So very honest. Next Sunday morning in life groups, one of your life group questions is, hey, talk about what was presented on Sunday morning. Because we don't, we don't encourage you to talk behind anybody's back. We want you to say it in front of everybody. Okay? Now, it might be the case that most of y'all are like where our leadership has been. I'll be honest with you. Can I tell you, when I presented this the first time, I was nervous because I wasn't sure how people were going to respond. 
can I call you out, Buster? Is that okay? I said, Buster, what do you think about all this? He looked at me, and I was ready for my, my wise old friend to say, let's slow down. Let's just see. He said, I've been praying for this for 40 years. When do we start? <laughs> Some of y'all might be in that place. Some of you go, oh, I don't know. I, I want you to sit around in life groups. I want you to talk about these things. Um, there's going to be a, a, we're going to do, a, we're going to call it a listening session. So this Wednesday night, um, you know, our regular prayer group time will be here. Listen, y'all come if you have questions. I will, uh, if you can't get here right at 6.30, we'll be here till 7.30. You get here when you can. Ask any questions you got. And if I don't have an answer, I'll find you an answer, okay? Um, and then on, we're, on, on June the 13th, there will be a vote, okay? It's going to be a, an, an up-down vote. And it's not a vote to spend money. The vote on June the 13th will be this. Are you, are you ready to move forward with forming a team that would then come to the church with a very specific plan and goal? Hear, hear me say, what you've seen this morning is a rough draft. So on June the 13th, if the church says yes to that, then what would happen is that we would take nominations from the floor and other ways we would go about forming a, a team that I'm currently calling a focus team. We'd go about forming a team that the church would have input in and the church would have a final vote to say, these people, we're trusting you to go and to formulate a plan and their task would be to come back to the church in three to six months with a concrete plan for what it looks like for us to move forward in these four focus areas or in other areas that Lord may lead us into. Okay? Now, having said all of that, I'm tempted to say, do you have any questions? But I'm not finished with my sermon this morning. So this morning, as we consider what it looks like to potentially move forward in these things, this is our wall examining. This is the, the, the time that we sit around and we go, okay, where are we really? And, and, and once Nehemiah examined the walls, you know what he did? Well, the first thing he saw was a huge challenge, one that seemed impossible and it didn't just seem impossible because these were big walls that had to be rebuilt it seemed impossible because there were big walls that had to be rebuilt by people that really didn't have a whole lot of interest in rebuilding these walls jerusalem wasn't exactly a great place to live in the moment but it was relatively comfortable nobody was attacking them nobody was trying to kill them when nehemiah went to them and said we need to rebuild the walls nehemiah knew there was going to be opposition so much opposition in fact that the people would be required to build with a sword strapped on and with tools in their other hand. I don't know if you guys remember, I preached on Nehemiah some years ago, and I wore a tool belt when I preached on it. And I, I said, if this was what it would look like for us today, the, the, the people of Jerusalem would have had a gun stuck in one side and tools stuck in the other. This is the task that was before them. The work was going to be risky because there were enemies who would oppose. But folks, the work, let me back up. There was also going to be great risk to not moving forward. The situation in Jerusalem wasn't great. They didn't have the life they wanted, but they didn't have to struggle. Nehemiah had to convince the people to upset the status quo in their own lives in order to complete a great task. How in the world did he do that? Two things that Nehemiah did. First thing, he convinced them of the need. And the truth of the matter was, that was pretty easy. Look at the walls. They're broken down. Do you know that they knew there was a need for a very long time? When's the last time you went to the doctor and the doctor said something to you like, you need to lose weight, and it caught you by surprise? Right? You need to get your blood pressure down. You're like, yeah, I kind of knew that. I've been having headaches for the last six weeks. 
it's, it's rare. The doctor might not give us the news that we want, but, you know, oftentimes we already know. Nehemiah said the walls are broken down. The people are like, yep, they've been broken down for a while, Nehemiah. But Nehemiah, our life's pretty good. Nehemiah said, but the Lord's called us to rebuild those walls. Nehemiah had to convince them of the need, number one. And number two, Nehemiah had to convince them that the Lord was behind the plan. Y'all, I presented a challenge to all of us this morning. It shows our need, and it shows what I and other leaders in our church believe to be the hand of God leading and directing us. Hear what I said. What I and other leaders believe. You'll never hear me say, thus says the Lord, unless it comes from this word. Because the only confidence we can have in God's word is here. But this is the direction that we believe the Lord is leading us in. But regardless of whether or not you agree with the exact vision as laid out this morning, I hope you see the challenge. I hope at the least that you recognize that there's a community in our backyard and a wide world around us that needs to hear the gospel. And I hope that you understand that we have a responsibility, a mandate, and a privilege to share the hope of Christ. See, this morning we see that Nehemiah waited for the Lord. He examined the walls, but then he embraced the challenge. This morning, I want to know, will you embrace this challenge with me? The invitation is not for you to respond enthusiastically to everything that you've seen presented to you today. Hear me say that. I hope you'll respond prayerfully. No, the invitation this morning is simply for you to ask this question. Where do you go from here? Where do you go? What are you willing to do? Where do we go collectively as a church body? You see, the reality is that every single day we're faced with this question. Am I going to be satisfied with what's happening today? Or am I willing to pursue Christ's commission? Am I going to sit back and enjoy the status quo? Or am I going to embrace the great commission and go? So this morning, will you upset the status quo and accomplish this great task? Will you pray? Oh, I hope you'll pray. But folks, listen to me. You don't need to ask the Lord if you've got a responsibility to carry the gospel to the lost because he already told you that. See, there's my conclusion. We take a left turn right here and ask you this. Are you willing to be uncomfortable and carry the gospel to the lost? Yes, if we embrace all the things that we've mentioned this morning, it's going to create a a degree of uncomfortableness within our church bodies. We try to move forward into great challenges. But if you're not willing to be uncomfortable personally and carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people that God's put into your life, Folks, you're not yet ready to be as uncomfortable as God's called us to be to do something huge together. One of the things that I don't always do that I probably should do a little bit more with an invitation is to be very specific. So here's my very specific invitation to you this morning. Having heard this call, not only to a great task from the Lord for our church that we believe. Not only having heard that, but having heard this word about lostness, 
in our community and across our world. Here's the invitation. Would you commit this week, before you show back up at church next Sunday, would you commit to going to somebody and making an effort to share the gospel with them? Would you commit to, at the very least, engaging in a gospel conversation? To go to somebody and ask them if you can pray for them or to invite them to church or to tell them about Jesus? Mercy's sakes, heaven forbid that we would ever commit to building great things for God's glory and not doing the important things. Friend, mother, father, sister, brother, neighbor, co-worker, can I tell you about this Jesus that changed my life? The news that broke Nehemiah's heart was that his people were in trouble. The news that I hope breaks your heart today is that our world is in trouble. They are lost. Sheep without a shepherd. Would you commit today to carrying the gospel to one person this week? Heaven forbid we ever pray for a revival without praying for the Lord to give us the courage to obey Him in our own lives. Kevin's going to come. Our praise team's going to lead us this morning in just a moment. But I want to invite you. I want to invite you to come and pray this morning. Because, see, here's the reality. When I mentioned that just a minute ago, some of you immediately had a name pop in your head, didn't you? That's not a coincidence. The Lord's put somebody in your path, an opportunity. Perhaps you'd like to come this morning and pray for that person. That person you work beside every day. That family member you're going to see at lunch in half an hour. Would you come today and pray? Perhaps you're here today, though, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ yourself. You say, Craig, I'm one of those people that you mentioned. I fit into that 60% that are unchurched. Maybe I fit into that 25% who just doesn't know what they believe. I'm just, kind of, I'm just kind of wandering. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you about what it looks like to be connected and committed to Christ in a local church. However it is the Lord's working in your life. As we sing this morning, would you respond? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you praise, glory, and honor for you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the God who speaks. You're the God who beckons and calls. Yes, Lord God, you are a God of second, third, and fourth chance. You're God of grace and mercy, but Lord God, you're also the God that sends your people out to not only repair walls, but to bear lives with the gospel of Jesus. Lord God, I pray that you would give us courage to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing. I stand amazed in the presence.